Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the word and um, be encouraged as I have in this study of Gideon, as you'll see on your outline, looking at Judges chapter 6, where we first find Gideon in the Bible, and we also find him in the New Testament. Because of what we'll look at a bit tonight, he actually made it into the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So, but I'll probably mention that again in my notes. Um, uh, as you see the heading there, spiritual stabil- stability in battle, and um, Gideon, as we'll see, was going from one battle to another, and we'll be able to relate to him, I think. You'll be able to relate to different areas or one area in his life where, because um, as we serve the Lord or uh, seeking to increase that which is lacking in our faith, the Lord uh, um, allows these trials, these testings, the trial of our faith to help us to grow and be strengthened through those battles, like the battle on getting to church on time. <laughs> but um, we're working on that, um, having moved out of town. But that's not the excuse, I suppose. But um, look, in Judges, like in here we, we're seeing... They haven't got a king and and the Lord's raising them up judges because there's just a continual cycle. And if you've done Old Testament survey, you're probably aware of um, the, the, the children of Israel. Their, Joshua's passed away and their great you know, leader that really um, helped them in their spiritual journey to drawing closer to the Lord um, as he led them into... Um, the promised land and but we're seeing this rebellion um, falling to the idols of the foreign nations Baal being one of them as you'll see tonight that rebellion and just doing this again and that's the word that's used again Uh, they did evil in the sight of the Lord they forsook the Lord and so um, and then retribution as God wants to get their attention again hey you've disobeyed me again and and then we see in their affliction they cry unto the Lord repentance and restoration so rebellion retribution repentance and restoration and here we have the start of another cycle in chapter 6 I'm not going to read those 27 verses but I think we'll look at most of them over the course of this message tonight um, sp- spiritual stability in battles we think of the fear of um, like the fears of Oh, man, like the fear of failure, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of death. There's a lot of fears that even as believers, and as we see as uh, Gideon, that and um, they they can slow us down. They can stagnate us in, especially in our our growth for the Lord, our service for Him. They can stain us. That's sin, and uh, that definitely slows us down um, in. But it's definitely encouraging because we see within a 24-hour period God was able to do a lot of work in Gideon's life to get him up to leadership, to be able to lead them as a judge. Where Moses, well, we could say he was 80 years. God was preparing him, but that was a different um, calling. Um, But, yeah, so, and others too. Everyone's different. We all, God is very patient with each of us, long-suffering in his... Uh, working with us as he did with Gideon. So let's pray. Um, normally I'd read the chapter and pray, but because we're going to be looking at each verse, um, we'll hope uh, in that way we'll try that. Lord, we thank you for the nice breeze that is blowing, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us tonight also, Lord, as we worship you around your word, as we, as the body of believers, Lord. Um, Thank you for this freedom in this country to do this, Lord, this place of worship, um, that we're able to be here tonight. And, uh, Lord, we can open your word and we do pray for your spirit to lead and guide us. And you know in each of our hearts those fears, those anxieties. Lord, um, that, that, that are stopping us from being moving forward Um, in our obedience to you, Lord, and growing in different areas, Lord. We thank you for the strength that you work on in our weaknesses, Lord, and you know 
uh, our weaknesses. And Father, we thank you and pray that um, through Gideon's life and testimony and obedience, uh, as you just in the terrible situation he was in with the nation there in sin and a massive affliction from enemy, Lord, we pray that we can uh, be encouraged in that what you can do in his life, you can do in our life, Lord, to build us up in our most holy faith. Lord, we pray for Brother Tony, he's not well, um, your hand upon him, comfort him. Lord, he's not been able to be with us today. And others that are travelling, that are normally here on this first Sunday, like Wagga and Mount Beauty, for travelling mercies, as many have got home from the NBF, and we thank you for that safety, that encouragement, that refreshing for our pastors of like faith, Lord, and workers in the Lord. Lord, we pray that they'll be uh, continue on in steadfastness, Lord. And uh, we ask these things now, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Gideon's deep desire for peace, you can see number one. And I want to first start with verse 24. Um, but let me start with one, and then we'll go to 24, just to understand the background. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we have rebellion again. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. So we see seven years have been afflicted. And, and, uh, and this is where Gideon turns up as we'll see and um, let's go to 24 could we all right we read Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and we'll come back to this verse then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom unto this day is yet in Ophrah of the Abizarites and as we will look tonight through this account, uh, Gideon was one to avoid conflict. And there are many people that want to avoid conflict. And um, it's not always good because you need to confront issues. But the Lord encourages him here in that. Even war was not liked um, as that was the situation, not with armies, but... Um, with the invasion of the Midianites and their allies, like the Assyrians and others from the east, the Bedouins, you could say, the Arabs. Um, but, you know, Gideon yearned for calm. He called the name, as I've just read, uh, of this altar that he built here. Um, and this is sort of at the end of God dealing with him. At, and um, Jehovah Shalom in verse 24. And Jehovah, as in Hebrew, the Jewish national name of God, the Lord. And Shalom, as we see in the Hebrew, is peace. Uh, you can look that up in 7965 in your Strong's. And it talks about Shalom's means much more than the ending of hostilities as peace in the world, the natural man thinks he just wants the hostility to stop, where this word Shalom carries with it the idea of well-being, health and prosperity from the Lord. Um, in your obedience and serving him. So see what we're seeing in Gideon's heart desire from this verse, and it comes out, uh, we won't see that at first. That's why I wanted to start here. You, you sort of think very negative at the start, the way it starts. But um, Gideon's heart desire, we see it is humble. Um, some commentators say he's a coward, but some don't. And I agree with the ones that don't. Um, it was just a fearful situation he'd been in for seven years. There was no... Um, he, ha he shows no interest for a war hero status. Like, he did not want the accolades of a fearsome leader that he could have took advantage of, um, as we'll see. And he was a farmer, and he only desired to plough and sow and harvest and thresh, as they did in them days, in peace. Let's go to verse 11. Chapter 6. This is where Gideon's first mentioned. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joaz, the Abbezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The afflictions of war, as we look at this. 
Um, as we're well aware, the Syrian civil war actually has been going on for seven years, 11 and a half months, nearly eight years. About the same time of this affliction Israel has been under from these Arab invaders. Um, CNN, quote, seven years of war has transformed ancient cities into scenes of, they use the word, apocalyptic devastation. And you've probably seen those. There's nothing left. Buildings are just concrete rubble and they're still just um, just like mounds of concrete in a, a rock yard. So hundreds of thousands have been killed. The first five years, there was an estimated 400,000 civilians killed. 5.7 million have fled the country, refugees, and we heard about that massive problem. 6.1 million have been displaced internally. So bad that ongoing violence against civilians, that is women and children being killed also, it has so bad that it's even been condemned by the Arab League, and that's pretty bad for the Arab League in there, you know, um, as we see here, they're still the same today, of um, not leaving things very nicely when they plunder someone. And so Gideon has seen, for the same amount of time, roughly seven years, as we see in verse 1, as we go back to chapter in verse 1 of chapter 6, in the situation of what is his friends and neighbours, you know, acquaintances, the devastating effects of what we could say of war. And we read that in 2 to 5. And let me read that. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number and they entered in the land to destroy it. And so um, just left nothing and that's what grasshoppers do in that picture there of the multitude of and their property was taken from them. All right, as we think about that for a moment, um, how would we feel? We've got some farmers in this church, like the Perrys and the Shippards, and, um, you know, if we just heard the news today, well, that when a, obviously a good crop was ripe, obviously that's not this year, but just for the purpose of the illustration, they've had good crops. Um, if they came and told us that in, in, in just shock and a mob of thugs, um, of thug contractors, had just crashed into their fields with their harvesters and heavy equipment and stripped their paddocks bare and, you know, knocking over their fences and gates and even bringing in B-double cattle trucks to take all their sheep and stock and whatever animals to take you know, they had, and they left nothing, as we see here, but total destruction. Obviously, they're shocked, and I'm just thinking about that. We would be shocked too. That would be shocking um, to hear that that could happen, and it does happen, but thankfully not here at this time yet. So this is what Gideon has seen and uh, um, with his friends and neighbours. Along with them, um, we can resonate it how Gideon must have felt the grief, even the sense of anger, you know, injustice, just this is so wrong, at, you know, their bullish thuggery. Um, all right. Now, this is not just one or two farmers here we're talking. As we see in chapter 7, verse 3, and add those numbers up, there's 32,000 men, and most of those men were probably from those farms or, you know, in that agricultural industries of those farmers that had the opportunity now to stand with Gideon to um, fight for what was theirs. Okay, but that's just to indicate a number because this is quite a few people affected. question is, why did they, with that many people, you know, allow themselves, their families, or what was left of their women and children, to be literally imprisoning themselves in dens and caves, as we read in verse 2? Why the lack of confidence or courage in this nation that they would rather fly than fight and, uh, and let 
their land be so ravaged and destroyed. And a commentator quotes um, that they would rather fly than fly. It was the effect of a guilty conscience of sin, of knowing that um, from what they'd learnt from Joshua and just that time that had passed, they would have remembered and that once they, you know, had dwelt in safety but um, life had become unbearable because of their compromise and, and, and falling back into that cycle of sin. And and that's the power of guilt and the and it just what it does to not only individuals but a whole nation. And Many of us have visited, you know, the War Memorial in Canberra and we see the pictures, we see the mock-ups, you know, the sounds of the sound of war and all for the fact that lest we forget the price paid for our freedom today and, you know, little can most of us, younger generation, could we ever imagine the horrors of war if we literally, if we were to see battle with our own eyes, would, as we see this picture unfolding before us would we not say or cry the same send us peace O Lord like Gideon desired in his heart was able to say in that altar that he made to the Lord in overcoming um, his own lack of faith and so verse 11 um, so Gideon not only saw the ravaged result of war but he himself was now feeling the effect of it. And um, the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak. And when we read there, we've already read this verse, that Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The dread of conflict had come to his own farm now. He is threshing wheat by the winepress. That's not the usual place to thresh wheat. Normally in Scripture, when grain is being threshed, that threshed in Hebrew means to knock out of, or they, they used to use rocks, they used, or, um, or even oxen, and they used to drag around heavy rocks, things that would crush the heads of the grain and knock the grain out. Um, and it was usually done on a threshing floor. Now, the word um, goron, which is also... See, when we look in uh, chapter 6, verse 37... We see the word floor. That is the same word, smooth, flat, open area. That's the threshing floor where um, Gideon put his fleece when he was seeking more evidence to strengthen his weak faith from God, that with the fleece and the dew, and then turned it around, the dew and the fleece, not you know the dry and the wet. But that's just the example there. So you, we, we see in Ruth that word being used where the threshing floor, where they cr- knock the grain out of the, 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 out of the, the crop, and um, then they would winnow it um, where they would separate the shaft. They would throw it into the wind and the shaft would blow away. But that created a lot of dust, which when you're in an open area, the threshing floor was an open area, large, so you could do a lot with a couple, quite a few people doing it together. It would attract attention of the, of the, Amal- um, the, the, you know, the Amalekites and the... Um, Midianites and all those and so um, he did not want to expose himself and what little grain he had it was very inconvenient this was very impractical to do it here but the length you go to to save that you know so you can have bread for the winter um, this would have been a very wearisome distressful situation just under these conditions and we can just give thanks to the Lord. It reminds us that, you know, we've been for a long time blessed here in our nation with unbroken peace, the freedom that we've enjoyed um, and the food we've enjoyed with that each summer and winter. So the afflictions of war, I think we understand. The way of peace understood by Gideon. And let's look at how we see that in verse 8 to 10 of chapter 6. We see the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drove them out from before you, and gave you their land. 
And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So what we do, we've read 11 where the Lord sent an angel, but what happens before that? The Lord sent an angel to raise up a deliverer for Israel, which would be Gideon. He sent a prophet, we just read, an unnamed prophet to reprove them of their sin of separating themselves from the glorious one true God of heaven, the living God. Now, the prophet's job here, as we see, was to convince them of sin with real sorrow and shame. Because I know in verse 7 they cried unto the Lord, but there is no evidence of true repentance. But even so, we know their affliction did move God's heart of mercy Psalms 103.10 reads the Psalms David wrote, He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's a very clear description of God's mercy. He has not given to us that which we do deserve. So our gospel in the New Testament today, as we know, is the same. We know repentance comes first, does it not? All right? And this is what... God sent the prophet to bring them to true repentance, a humbling turning back to God from idols, little g. And as we were reminded this morning by our pastor, an idol is something in our life, anything that takes us away from God, as pastor used the word this morning, that would occupy our attention where we were neglecting our time with the Lord and uh, we're occupied, anything that occupies us from um, taking us away from our fellowship with God is an idol. And so we need to repent. And that's what it is, Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of that verse there. Now, the question is, did Gideon know this before the prophet came? Well, firstly, we're seeing that he is being raised up by God to be a judge. All right? He must have had some knowledge as a man of faith in God. Otherwise, God wouldn't be raising him up. Even though Gideon had doubts about God using him as Israel's deliverer, judge, which we'll see shortly, the Lord patiently worked through this. And uh, Gideon knew that he would have known if Israel had, if they returned to the Lord unto Jehovah, then peace would follow. And that's what he desired. And so verse 12 in chapter 6, we read, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And we see the angel of God is mentioned in verse 20. And I just want to make note, see, with our New Testament revelation, we have the whole canon of Scripture now of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. We know from the Gospel of John that he is the eternal word for whom the invisible God speaks and manifests himself. We know that from John 1.1 and John 1.18. So as we see this Old Testament angel of the Lord mentioned, we can properly identify him with the pre-incarnate Son of God. And, uh, and so with that in mind, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can only imagine that as he is meeting this angel, a lot is going through Gideon's mind. Um, while he is working here, threshing his crop, and uh, while he is working. So, and it's while he is working, the angel appears unto him. And verse, at the end of, by the end of verse 12, the angel says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. The Lord knew uh, his heart, as we mentioned before. And, but, who sh- like when we say the heart is deceitful from you know the Old Testament above all things and desperately wicked, who shall know it? Well, God knows it, and he knew Gideon's heart. And this must have been a great assurance to Gideon that with him at least God was at peace. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31, at the end there, B. So what blessed assurance that being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Um, so what we're dealing with here is a lack of faith, a lack of spiritual perception, uh, just with the many things that are distracting Midian at this time, um, and just with the sin in the camp of the Israelites, and obviously the knowledge of the anger of God 
that is prevailing over them. And so here we have living by sight um, and the Lord is beginning the process of helping Gideon to live by faith as the Lord patiently waits. He waits for our growth and maturing in him too as we live increase that which is lacking in our faith so to for that to happen that we see the next the doubts have to be dispelled the unbelief we could say now a writer said quote Gideon is a great encouragement to people who have had a hard time accepting themselves and believing that God can make anything out of them or do anything with them and uh, so we know Moses had his doubts and you know, Gideon would have known about that because he understood uh, the history there as he mentions it in um, verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midian. Now, he understood the history here and he would have realised Moses even had his doubts too of when the Lord was calling him and wanting to be, lead the children of Israel. And uh, so, um, and the, just reading, I'm, I'm using some commentators' notes here again, um, but I'm not quoting because it's just a thought. Before the Lord could use Gideon in his service, the Lord had to deal with four doubts of Gideon. And we're going to look at two of them in this outline. The others are further on. but um, And the first one starts here. I've just read in 13 just now. Um, in that questioning after the angel says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour, in 12. And then we see Gideon questioning God. Um, does like It's like, does God really care about us in you know, in that response, um, like questioning God's concern for his people. But with that question, um, Gideon got a look from the Lord, and we see that in verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him. And um, it was said this was a speaking look. We know the Lord Jesus looked upon Peter after his third denial, and it broke his heart. Um, and you know like to say to Gideon quote take a look at yourself um, what I have done and that that was just something I put in there as my quote I suppose take a look at yourself of what I've done and what had the Lord done up until this point the Lord had chastened them we saw that in verses 1 to 6 the Midianites and the Amalekites with their invasions for the last seven years, taking everything and destroying everything. The Lord um, loveth whom he chaseth, Hebrews 12, 6. Secondly, the Lord had rebuked them through the unnamed prophet of their sin. And now he came to help them as he's speaking with Gideon from verse 11, in raising up a deliverer, a saviour. So, secondly, that was the first doubt. The second doubt we see in verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, whither shall I save Israel? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Questioning, like, does God know what he's doing? Questioning God's wisdom? maybe, in choosing him to be the nation's deliverer. This is like a humble response, you know, I'm the least, and oh, Lord, I'm weak. And, but this is his um, unbelief at this point in time. Verse 16, let's read that, what the Lord's response was. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Praise the Lord for his persistence, for his long-suffering with us in our doubts and fears and unbelief. Gideon was a farmer, and what had he been doing? We just read before. He had been threshing wheat. 
He'd been knocking the grain out of the head. And what is the Lord saying as we think of the New Testament um, commission, great commission? Go thresh the Midianites. I will make thee a thresher of men in that sense. Gideon had been labouring. We need to understand under all unimaginable circumstances, it was everything was difficult, nearly impossible. And, and so this made him, we see, God's perfect candidate for doing the job. Now, note that I wrote, as we think of Gideon this evening for a little while, we may see in our own lives some things that may be somewhat parallels with him. Okay, we may not have to smite the Bedouin tribes as he had, as he does, we know he does, but we are dealing with spiritual warfare that God has called many of us. And maybe at this moment we are in fear, but God intends it for good to use us for his glory, that by our obedience God will get victory by us and we are being prepared growing in faith for future conflicts and victory. So God patiently works with Gideon and prepare him for leadership. Now, we may think that his first responses are very negative, but he just wanted to know from God himself that his mission was authentic, his success certain. See, um, Gideon had been so long grieved, we need to understand, by, his, by the past sins and their consequences. And consumed the nation was by God's anger and his wrath Gideon was very troubled and we need to look at ourselves are we not much different to Gideon we're not fighting a vicious um, well thugs like that but have we ever been in this condition maybe we have well if we know that the Lord has loved us you and called you to his work Yes, this has been so. And as we look at spiritual matters in our lives, in our testimony, in our relationship with the Lord, we need to be sure, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this, is this God's will? Is this God's peace is for um, his will to be done? And so... We want, like we were being challenged this morning, we want to make sure work for eternity. Because there is that carnal side of peace. And sadly, where the world is and now many churches today, they cry, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And so we're trying to distinguish from the word of God, from God's word and through our salvation, through the Holy Spirit, um, that we're not deluded in any way, that we know for sure that this is uh, God's will in our life as we would confront the enemy and his way because of all the false gospels, the false teachings, the false religions. And uh, as we looked at Sunday school this morning, the so-called church fathers have bring, brought so many throughout church history little seeds of uh, twisted or half-truths in doctrine that they've added and now... Today we have apostasy that is rife because of the building on that false teaching and just the, the next generation's adding more and more. So, And we have to really test these things and, and, and examine them and study them. And, and, and so we can understand Gideon's responses. And in our lack of faith or lack of spiritual perception in this, God gently and patiently tells us through, yes, the reading of study of his word, the preaching and teaching of his word as we come here to hear that and the memorising and the meditating of his word that he tells us that he is with us as he kept telling Gideon and will make us conquerors in our day-to-day -day battles as he promised Gideon, the exceeding great and precious promises. And as we've received them and understood them, um, we understand that we are making sure work for eternity as we obey them. So number two there, Gideon's fear in the way of peace. Okay, we see the baggage of long affliction. Uh, and verse 17 to 21, and, I, and he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. 
Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, that's the angel of the Lord, I will tarry until thou comest again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh of the un- and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. All right, we see that Gideon asked for a sign. Okay, we need to understand his fear in this journey of seeking the and understanding and knowing that this is the peace of, of God um, and that this is God that is, that is showing him the true God, the one true God that he claims to be. So the Lord was gracious in that to accommodate himself to Gideon's unbelief. And so Gideon, we could say, maybe wanted to double check if we could say that, that true peace, that this true peace is going to be from the, the true God of heaven. And so we read that. And then um, verse 22 to 23, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, I'll read that again. Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. And um, all right, here we see... Gideon realises it is God veiled in angelic form. And what happens? The shadows of death fell upon him. Because from tradition, he learnt that if you see God's face, you'll die. But this was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we can see face to face when we come to him and we can see God through him. And this is why the angel said, um, of the Lord thou shalt not die so we know from other scriptures when other portions of scriptures when God is bringing men into peace with himself we might be reminded of some there is a degree of trembling in the soul so this trembling is only natural when it's a true um, confrontation with the Lord Maybe we ourselves, you know, we should suspect and check that um, that conversion, conversion which has no trembling in it, is it a true conversion? So we know the prodigals cry very well, I am not worthy to be called thy son. What about Peter's bit of weeping? I mentioned it before, when the Lord looked on him on his third denial and that, how that broke him seeing Jesus face to face when he was under that trial, after Jesus looked. And then what about the Saul of Tarsus, three days of darkness, you know, who we know as the Apostle Paul, when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. So why was Gideon afraid? He wasn't a coward. I don't believe he was. A writer quotes, Quote, when the living God draws very near to a soul, even though it be with the person of Christ Jesus, that soul is struck with awe and trembles before the Lord. Now when Jesus comes to a soul, it is but of love, of mercy and of free forgiveness. So any heart with doubt and anxiety, troubled with a sense of sin and greatly troubled by affliction that is full of fear, when Jesus draws near, especially when it is the great Lord who ruleth over all things, who createth all things and sustaineth all things, because we examine our hearts, um, we should be, if, if we know not or have not experienced what it is to have the Lord drawing near to us, we know that he will draw, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And if that fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of knowledge, as we learn in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom. And if it's not there, well, we need to look at, 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 at our, our cry. Is it of true repentance? Is it of sorrow? Is it of... of um... So, all right. 
in that, well, let's look at the next, the baggage of long affliction. Okay. Did I already mention that? Okay. All right, I'm still in there. Gideon's life, as we read in the text, he was definitely suffering under cruel oppression for a long time. Very conscious of God's anger, of Israel's sins. And now he is overshadowed by God's own presence through his son. Gideon's mind was ready to rush from one fear to another. In it, we see something beautiful. Verse 22. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. What he does here, he tells his fear to God straight away. And Gideon goes to the Lord for comfort in that fear. And this is what has sustained him in his fears, going to the Lord. Now, a man tossed to and fro from one fear to another, we see, but never tossed off from his God. This is stability in battle, as the heading suggests. No fear. If we have no fear in our lives, no fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, we can be tempted not to look to the Lord. If everything's very easygoing, comfortable, um, then that temptation to, to, of self-reliance and neglecting the Lord is very present. And our safety lies in coming to God often. To him we must approach every hazard in our life must present to him no matter how small it may be we know that our God from Hebrews is a consuming fire now if we come to him he's going to burn that wood and that hay and stubble in our life those temporary things of the earth that are not eternal we want that to be done here on earth we don't want it to be done at the judgment seat of Christ where we'll be ashamed. Gideon found the path of peace of God much sooner than others, as I mentioned before. This was within a 24-hour period that God was able to use him in the work, to start the work through understanding the fear of the Lord, understanding the peace of God. And, uh, and the Lord could use him sooner that night, as we see in verse 25. There was still fear because he went and did it in the night, um, but he obeyed the Lord. Let's read 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. But he still obeyed. I'm going to skip to the third point now. I've deliberately done that earlier. Just It works better. Um, and time Gideon's comfort of God through peace um, so we've seen Gideon feared himself he feared his own unfitness and unworthiness he feared in the same uh, he feared in the awesome presence of God as he realised that but the Lord said as we read fear not in verse 23 and we see Gideon's heart begins to grow calm Thou shalt not die. The Lord says to us who are holding to him by the desperate grip of faith, Thou shalt not die. Thou shalt not die the second death. For I have laid your transgressions, the Lord said to us, our sin on my only begotten son. Thou shalt not die, for Jesus died. Now, this is the only way we today can enjoy perfect peace and abide in the Lord Jesus Christ and be sustained and bring him all our fears and worries and anxieties and lay them at the cross in our confession, in our neglect, of, in our confession of sin as we need to do. So, And that would allow the peace of God which passeth all understanding keep our hearts each day and minds by Christ Jesus. So Philippians 4, 7, I'll quote it as it says, May the peace of God which passeth all understanding keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. So this allows him to go to the work as we see there. 
at home first. Verse 25 to 27. I've just read um, 27, so I'll read 25 and 26. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy, thy father hath, and cut down the groove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take a second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the groove which thou shalt cut down. And so God starts Gideon at home with it. And um, his, his father and family worshipped Baal, so this was not going to be easy. And, quote, If we don't practice our faith here at home, how can we practice it sincerely any place else? Um, before God gives his servant great victories in public, he sometimes prepares them by giving them smaller victories at home. And this was not going to be easy, as this was his family that worshipped Baal. And he even did it at night because he was so fearful of what their response might have been. But we have the example of David in Psalms Samuel, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 to 7, 37. You know, before David killed Goliath the giant, he testified because he was going to do it before two armies, the armies of the Philistine and the army of Israel. He learned, he said, he testified, he learned how to trust God at home first before he got the Lord, well, gave him that wonderful privilege and victory. What he did was, in that 1 Samuel 17, he testifies how he was able to kill a lion and a bear in the field where nobody saw it but God. And so the faith that would have been needed for that is where God used to grow David as a young man. And so we have this home assignment where he was to to destroy the altar dedicated to Baal and build an altar to the Lord and sacrifice one of his father's valuable bullocks because, remember, food was scarce. It had been all taken, all their livestock and everything as we read, plundered. And he was used the wood of Asherah pole for fuel, the groove there. Gideon decided to obey the Lord at night when the village was asleep, as I mentioned. Yes, it showed his fear, but, um, but as true believers, we can't build an altar to the Lord unless first we tear down the altar's that we have built to the false gods they worship. And I mentioned that, those things that take precedence in our lives over God, takes us away from church, from the word and things like that, that we, in our relationship, neglecting our relationship. So we, that is so important because in Exodus 25, we read that our God is a jealous God. And he will not share his glory or our love with another. Gideon had privately, as we remember, built his own altar um, earlier on. Um, there, when he in verse 17, 18, 19, and you know, 20 and 21, and the Lord accepted it with bringing the fire to consume it. But now he had to take his public stand before at home, before the village, and he had to do it without compromise. And he didn't, even though he did it at night. He, he did what the Lord wanted him to do. And so with that step of faith and uh, peace of God, overcoming fear and the lack of faith, he pulled it down and built an altar to the Lord with the wood from the groove. Um, he had to burn, sorry, to offer the burnt sacrifice of the bull that was provided. And and so earlier that other altar when he said, let's I'm jumping 
her. Verse 24, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. So, unto this day it is yet in Ophrah and the Aborites. And, and as we see in his peace with God there, and then obeying the Lord in pulling down the altar, the, the idol to Baal and the, the groove, and using the wood to burn, and pulling it down is not enough. Plenty of people can pull things down. For the Lord even. It's, um, yes, we begin the fight by cutting down Baal's grooves in our lives. And, but we complete it by building the altar in our life for the Lord. You know, that altar of now thinking what we can do for him in dedicating our, all our time to him. We make that altar of making Christ preeminent in our lives that commitment. We bless his name each day in everything we give thanks as we pray. And we have entered, you know, on the battles of peace for the Lord God. And so everything, our altar to the Lord is our full dedication to him in our lives and time and service. So the capacity of service that God can infuse into a single individual are marvelous, and uh, and what God can do to even strengthen that we see later on in the chapter from what was it thirty two something thousand men down to three hundred. God was able to use to show Himself mighty through Gideon's obedience and peace with God. So at God's own altar. Where Jesus died, we will find the peace of God there and only there at the cross. Where Jesus' blood makes peace with God, there is your peace, there is my peace. The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Amen.